0: Welcome back to the cast from the past. My name's Rahul, and I'm here with...
1: I'm Nathan Satino, Professor of History and the History Department Chair.
0: Amazing. So would you like to give an introduction of your background and work to our listeners?
1: Sure, Rahul, and thanks again for having me. So uh, as I said, I'm Nathan Satino, I'm Professor of History, Chair of the History Department here at Rice, and I'm a historian of U.S. foreign relations, specializing in U.S. relations with the Arab Middle East. I've taught at Rice since twenty fifteen, and before coming here, I taught for fifteen years at Colorado State University uh, in Fort Collins, Colorado. And before that, um, I was trained at Ohio State University. So I'm originally from Ohio. Uh, I'm, I'm an Ohio State
0: <laughs> So I'm guessing there is a lot more news coming out of the Middle East as of now. I think sort of the preoccupation with a lot of people's minds, including my own, is the situation in Israel and Gaza. So I would say for our listeners, could you give us a brief overview of the ongoing situation as you see it now?
1: Sure. Just giving you a, a, a little bit of a, an overview. Um, as many of your listeners know, on October 7th, uh, militants led by the Harakat Muqawm al or Hamas, Um, broke through the blockade that Israel and Egypt had imposed on the Gaza Strip since 2007. They killed some 1,200 people in southern Israel and seized more than 200 hostages that they carried back to Gaza. Uh, In response, Israel bombarded and invaded Gaza, uh, military operations that are still ongoing. Those operations have displaced uh, many of the 2.2 million Palestinian Arabs who live in that territory, one of the most densely populated territories uh, on the planet. Um, So far, they've killed about 24,000 Palestinians at least, and most of those consistent with the population in Gaza uh, have been women and children.
0: So then I know you look a lot at the history of the Middle East over time, and sort of I think that historical component is very important, I think, to understanding the current situation. So how would you say the history of the region sort of contributes to the ongoing tensions that we see now?
1: Sure. Um, the, the key to understanding the the events I just described uh, is, is context and that's really historians specialty. It's our, our stock in trade, if you will, uh, providing con- context. And I think the most important context to understand uh, is that the Middle East has been deeply affected by Western imperialism over a long period of time. and. It, Based on the, the work that I do and that, that I described uh, as a historian of U.S. foreign relations, I study how the United States is a part of that history, part of the imperial history uh, in, in the Middle East. So Palestine in, in particular uh, has been a site of, of uh, imperialism, specifically European settler colonialism, the displacement and, and dispossession uh, of indigenous Arab, of the indigenous Arab population, Uh, by Zionists led by European Jews. Uh, Zionism was a a late 19th and early 20th century response to the problems of European anti-Semitism and the persecution uh, of Jews um, and a a project, the Zionist project that that pursued colonization as as the answer to those, uh, those problems. This project was supported by Great Britain during World War I. And afterward, when Palestine was created as a mandate or a colonial state under British supervision as authorized by the League of Nations, the United States also supported Zionism and backed the establishment of a Jewish state after World War II. Uh, Israel came into existence in in May of 1948. The establishment of Israel and the creation of of a Jewish majority state in Palestine was possible only uh, as the result of or or because of the expulsion and flight of some 750,000 Palestinian Arabs from their homes, an experience known to Palestinians as the Nakba or the catastrophe in Arabic. They were prevented from returning to their homes and lands, uh, and, and Israel destroyed hundreds of villages to prevent them from doing so. Most of the Palestinians living, and now many, an too many unfortunately dying, uh, in the territory known as the Gaza Strip, uh, are themselves refugees or descendants of refugees from that experience in 1948. So in, in a very real sense, they're being uh, displaced uh, again.
0: So building off of your point, what is the relationship of other states in the Middle East sort of to Palestine and to this conflict? And how have they historically seen it and how has that changed as of now
1: yeah so i I mean many states in the region now that are are allied with or otherwise aligned with the united states are off are reacting cautiously in a cautious manner um, offering sort of muted responses to the the kinds of mass death the attacks on civilian populations um, that that we're seeing in in gaza and that has not always been the case i mean the period that i study most of, of what I've written about and researched about from roughly the 1940s to the 1960s was, was an era of pan Arab revolutionary nationalism, a time when uh, Arabs, even though they were divided and partitioned into different states, believed that they belonged to a, a kind of common um, linguistic national community. And for them, Palestine was, was a deeply, you know, kind of felt historical injustice uh, the the Nakba that, that I described what they regarded as the recolonization of uh, of the Middle East uh, by by Zionism in in, uh, in this context what's changed now is and here I'm talking mostly about governments in in, in the Middle East not necessarily um, peoples and it's important to recognize that uh, many uh, governments in in the Arab Middle East and, and in other states in the Middle East are are not necessarily representative of of their peoples. So many states in the region that that are uh, aligned with the United States are reacting cautiously. For example, Egypt, uh, which is led by a a military government, um, has partnered with the Israelis in maintaining a, a blockade on Gaza since 2007, and is really concerned, as it has been for a long time, with containing Hamas within Gaza. Um, Prior to the Hamas attack on on Israel, the monarchical family-led states of the Gulf, so the the Gulf states, uh, the the states of the Gulf Gulf region, uh, had been in the process of normalizing relations with Israel as part of what the Trump administration called the Abraham Accords. Um, Surprisingly, really, I I think to some extent incredibly, Saudi Arabia's um, de facto ruler, whose name is Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, as he's known, uh, has indicated that normalization is not off the table. Normalization with Israel is not off the table despite Israel's violence against Palestinian Arabs in Gaza. If Israel implements a ceasefire, takes steps toward creating a Palestinian state, then Mohammed bin Salman says, MBS says, normalization is still possible between Saudi Arabia and and Israel. Qatar, which uh, had uh, supported Hamas prior to October 7th with tacit Israeli approval actually um, has served as a mediator in, in negotiations uh, over the Israeli hostages being held by Hamas um, and getting humanitarian aid into Gaza. Most recently a, a militant group uh, in, in Yemen known as the Houthis uh, have, have tried to disrupt shipping uh, to Israel in solidarity with the Palestinians. So the Houthis have fired missiles, um, have attacked ships uh, in the Red Sea near the strategic um, straits or sort of choke point of the Bab al-Mandeb, the, um, the straits between the Arabian Peninsula and the, and the Horn of Africa. Also the, the political party and military organization in, in Lebanon called Hezbollah uh, has ties to Iran and, and has intervened in support of, of Palestinians by uh, attacking Israel, at least on a limited basis. Hezbollah fought a war uh, with Israel in 2006 um, and and doesn't seem at the moment to be eager to to repeat that experience, but still wants to demonstrate uh, solidarity uh, with with the Palestinians. So looking at sort of a a bigger picture, the the response in the region has reflected the polarization uh, in the Middle East between U.S.-aligned states that either explicitly or implicitly accept Israel's existence as, a, as a, a, a Jewish state and those aligned with, with Iran uh, that, that don't accept you know, Israel as being a, a Jewish state and not a, not a state of, of all its citizens or, or you know, populations in, in historic Palestine. So it, it seems that while none of the parties wants a wider regional war, uh, it seems like one is nevertheless emerging and the recent US military strikes on Yemen just, just this week you know, Yemen has already faced uh, years of, of a devastating civil war. The, the U.S. strikes on, on Yemen um, seem to, to make that uh, wider war more likely, um, unfortunately.
0: I see. So, to sort of paraphrase what you were saying in tor- terms of the different responses you see in the Middle East, would you connect that to the greater split in the Middle East between Saudi Arabia's sphere of influence and Iran's sphere of influence and their response? to The war in Gaza.
1: I think absolutely, yeah, and I, and and you know, this is, this is, a kind of polarization or or split or distinction that, in part, was uh, emerged from and kind of reinforced by the experiences of, of the Arab Spring. So, perhaps a, a dozen in, your your um, listeners may may be aware that that a dozen years ago or, or so uh, there were widespread democratic uh, uh, uprisings against non-democratic uh, governments across uh, the, the Arab Middle East. This is something that, that demonstrates, I think, the, the persistence of a desire for these kind of uh, universal norms, universal values of democracy, human rights on, on, on the part of, um, on the part of uh, uh, Arab populations. Um, in part, in order to respond to those democratic movements, the leadership of governments like Saudi Arabia use sectarian, that is, religious difference, in order to uh, attempt to suppress those uh, those democratic movements. And so, the differences between Iran uh, and its, you know, and and its allies or clients, including Hezbollah, which I mentioned, including the Houthis in, in Yemen, which I also mentioned. Um, On the one hand, and uh, the Saudis and other sort of US-aligned states in the Gulf, Egypt, Jordan, others, that's not the result of of a kind of essential or eternal or or, um, permanent religious or sectarian conflict between Sunni and Shia Muslims. It's more a kind of of political strategy on the part of non-democratic governments to try to break up uh, democratic movements. But we've seen how it has implications in uh, the current conflict over um, Israel and, and uh, what's going on uh, right now in uh, in, uh, in Gaza. So I guess I'll, I'll stop there and, and just answer yeah. that question.
0: In that case, you mentioned a lot of Iran's allies mm-hmm. being mainly these sort of groups that have been very much condemned by a lot of US media. I'm trying to think in this case about Iran's allies in terms of nation-states and how they're responding to this. I know, for instance, Iraq is also now majority Shia as well, sort of their response to the conflict, or other um, Iran allies outside of the Middle East.
1: Right. So there are a couple things to um, to say there. One is that, and again, I would say that religion by itself is not, a sufficient way of understanding the the alignments in in the Middle East, although although religion is um, important, there are significant allies between the Iranian government and uh, elements, political parties, uh, also uh, militias within Iraq, and and that too is the consequence of recent history, particularly the United States invasion of Iraq in March of two thousand three, uh, which which. As, as many of your listeners may know, toppled the, the government of Saddam Hussein. Um, and the prime beneficiaries really of that were, um, were political groupings that, that, that uh, did have a certain affinity uh, with, uh, with the, the Iranians. Another comment you made, I think, is, is important, Rahul, and that is that, you know, the, that groups like the Houthis, uh, no, certainly, the Iranian government, uh, but also Hezbollah, um, al- always have or seem to have a very kind of negative profile in in um, in American media, and and um, you know there are there are reason reasons why uh, you know the the Iranian government should should be criticized for being anti democratic and and so forth. It's also true that this conflict, the conflict over Palestine, has the potential not only in the Middle East but also beyond. To mobilize opinion around ideas of democracy, human rights, and especially anti-colonialism, the United States is an outlier in, in many regards in the way that its media, its government, sort of the the dominant discourse or, or dominant ways of discussing this conflict, um, see the you know see the conflict over over Palestine for societies particularly that. Um, endured colonialism that uh, experienced the struggle to, to decolonize uh, in, in the 20th century and, and especially after World War II. Um, Palestine is seen primarily as a site of, of colonization. Uh, and I mentioned before the, the kind of experience with settler colonialism. One of the societies that has that, that experience of settler colonialism. The United States does, had, a, had an, indiz- an indigenous population that was displaced and, and dispossessed by, by European settlers. Um, another one is, is South Africa, and it's South Africa that has kind of taken the lead in you know, calling uh, Israel before the, the bar of international justice, claiming that what go- what's going on right now in, in, uh, in Gaza is, is genocide, meets the, the kind of basic international legal definition for, for genocide. And there's tremendous support uh, again, among different third world societies for, for that position. And that's something that I think if you consume mostly American media, you don't, you don't uh, uh, fully appreciate.
0: So I know we talked a lot about the history in terms of how we've gotten to a certain point of colonialism in the region. I think a lot of people are, are also interested to know the background in terms of the rise of Hamas and the PLO as these militant organizations and sort of how the West Bank and Gaza have grown apart in some way.
1: That's a great and, and you know, long, long and kind of complicated yes. um, history. I can I can sum it up in in general by saying that you know you you mentioned the the PLO, uh, which is a kind of umbrella group of of different Palestinian uh, factions. One of the most important of which is Fatah. Uh, which was led by Yasser Arafat, uh, the late Yasser Arafat who eventually became the chairman of, of the, the Palestine Liberation Organization. Um, these were militant groups that emerged from the refugee populations I was talking about earlier, those that were uh, displaced or forced out of Palestine in 1948 at the time of the establishment um, of Israel. Eventually, and this is, uh, this is a history that uh, you know, goes back to the 1990s, so the end of the last century, the end of the 20th century. There was a, a political process um, that was originally brokered by academics, but, but came to include the State of Israel in the United States and, and the PLO, known as the Oslo Process, that established a, um, a kind of a framework for imagining an, an, an eventual Palestinian state. And what's, um, what's important to know about that is that that state was, the promised state, was uh, going to encompass uh, parts of the West Bank and Gaza. Um, less than a quarter, maybe 22% or so, you know, less than, than a quarter of what had been historic Palestine, what, ha- what had been the mandate of Palestine that I, I mentioned uh, earlier in, in my remarks. So we're talking about a, a fraction of, of uh, what you know, what, what had been um, uh, the Palestine uh, mandate. What was envisioned was never really a a, a, so, a fully sovereign state, and it, it the Oslo process provided for some um, Palestinian uh, self rule and autonomy, but not full sovereignty in in those uh, territories. For several reasons, for many reasons, that that process obviously did, did not result in, in a Palestinian state. You know, one, one being that uh, there were, there was a, a, a long-term uh, project by successive Israeli governments of planting settlements in territories that had been envisioned for the eventual Palestinian state in such a way that you know, really uh, underscored and, and eventually made it impossible for for us even to imagine how 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 uh, there could be a, a, a sovereign state, um, there were those who were uh, opposed uh, among Jewish Israelis, among Palestinian Arabs, who used violence to try to uh, upend that that process. So the you know the the one of the brokers on uh, who um, agreed to the the Oslo uh, um, process on the Israeli side. Um, the, the prime minister of Israel, uh, uh, Rabin, was was assassinated by a Jewish Israeli who opposed the, the Oslo process. Hamas, which is the the, um, the Palestinian uh, branch of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, also launched attacks, terrorist attacks against civilians in Israel during the during the Oslo era, and this um, strengthened the hand of. Uh, right-wing elements in, in, in Israel, who supported the settlement enterprise, who opposed Oslo to um, you know, to, to sort of gain control of, of Israeli policy. Those two, you know, sort of territorial units of what was envisioned for a Palestinian sort of uh, quasi-state also became separated in terms of, of governance. There was a, an election that uh, was held following the Israeli withdrawal from uh, Gaza in 2005, which withdrew settlements from the, the Gaza Strip but didn't return uh, complete control to Palestinians of um, airspace, ports, um, you know, land crossings in, into Gaza. And Hamas won that election and, and took control, eventually, violently took control uh, of the Gaza Strip. And has has controlled Gaza ever since. Many Palestinian Arabs came to view the Palestinian Authority, the the uh, segments of, of um, the Palestinian leadership that had signed on to Oslo, as uh, essentially becoming security uh, enforcers for the Israelis because they, um, you know, because they were charged with maintaining security in in the Palestinian areas, and so lost legitimacy. Um, the current uh, leader of the of the PA, who's who's quite uh, aged, <laughs> is actually you know is older than Joe Biden. Mahmoud uh, uh, is is um, has you know has not won an election in, in quite a long time, and it's not clear at all that he you know if he has any kind of legitimacy or support among Palestinians who are largely um, you know ha- ha- uh, largely a, a, a younger generation, you know people under the age of, of thirty. And so the, it's not clear, so in the in the current um, conflict, whether the Palestinian Authority would be able to, as the, as the United States has said it wants, to come into Gaza after the war and, and to help uh, administer that, that territory. That, that seems like um, a non-starter. But here's another important thing to recognize is that uh, the current uh, Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, tacitly, and, and really not only tacitly, supported... Hamas's presence in Gaza supported the, uh, um, the Qataris and others who, who indirectly supported Gazans who were subject to an economic blockade by Egypt and, and Israel precisely because it kept those two, um, politically, it kept those two entities, those two territories controlled by Palestinians or, or um, that were the focus of the Palestinian population, separate and Made it impossible, really obviated any any sense that they could possibly be united politically and form a um, a, a Palestinian state. So it was a, a kind of uh, realpolitik on on the part of the Israeli uh, government that tacitly supported Hamas in Gaza, um, and so it's a, it's important to keep that that in mind. You know, in the in the current uh, in the current environment where that that same government now
0: is waging war against Hamas. I see. By tacitly supported, what? Are you talking about specifically there? I'm, th-
1: I'm talking mostly about economic aid. Okay. You know, economic aid um, that allowed uh, the people of Gaza to be minimally kept alive and, and sustained in, a, in an environment where they were totally closed off from the outside world, and you know, air, land, and and sea. Um, so, medicine, food, um, you know, hundreds of trucks that would have to go pass into Gaza, you know. Daily, in order to sustain a population of 2.2 million people, uh, most of whom were unemployed, and that's been going on since 2007. So that you know, providing that kind of, of economic aid um, also became a kind of political strategy for um, you know sort of freezing that that uh, Palestinian state in in place and, and making it impossible for it to be to
0: to become a reality. I see. So, internationally, I know you were talking about sort of the realignment that you're seeing in terms of people's support for the independent state of Palestine. Do you think that that consensus will occur within the Western world uh, among the people? Do you see it moving more towards that? What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I think that, I
1: mean, it, it, would have been great had there been a, a Palestinian state at some at some point. Uh, I think now it's it's not a it's not realistic. I think that um, it's not realistic in terms of the the extent of the settlement enterprise, the Jewish settlement enterprise in in the West Bank. Um, I think it's not possible in terms of politically within um, you know, within Israel. The current government is quite beholden to the the right wing, which includes. Settlers and, uh, and others who see uh, those, you know, what are thought of as, as the territories that would, would comprise a Palestinian state as, as being part of Israel and advocating the annexation uh, of those territories uh, uh, to Israel. Advocacy, even in the current crisis of further ex- uh, displacing and even expelling um, the, the Gazan population, the, the Gazan population of Palestinian Arabs to the Sinai in, in Egypt or, or to the Gulf or something like that. There are elements within uh, the Israeli government currently that are advocating that, that, uh, you know, that, that position. Um, I, I don't think that there'll be a solution until there's a kind of recognition of, of Palestinian humanity and that, that uh, recognition, recognition has political implications. Recognizing Palestinians' um, right to, to political rights. Not just a kind of you know, limited autonomy in the West Bank, as, as um, you know, kind of emerged during the Oslo process, but as being full citizens of a state. Whether it's a Palestinian state, that seems not to, to be the case, or the, the citizens of um, a, a single state in historic Palestine that includes Jews, Muslims, Christians, you know, others, uh, you know, everybody having equal rights, democracy. Uh, you know, human rights, equality, one person, one
0: vote. So, if there's one thing that you'd like all Americans to know about the current situation in Gaza and Israel, what do you think that would be?
1: I think that you know, I think that um, what 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 I said before, and I can say it yeah. in in a, in a somewhat different way that that ending the violence and, and violence that are, that's really produced by the circumstances of colonialism in Palestine. So that ending the violence and, and the colonial circumstances in Palestine that, that I've been talking about requires recognizing Palestinians' humanity. And that really isn't about taking sides. Um, and I think of this as a historian, that you know, part of being a historian, a, a humanist, is being a, an ethical scholar, a teacher who applies humanistic values you know, across the board without exception. And, and those are, are values such as support for human rights, for democracy, equality anti-racism feminism so on Um, so any any durable any real you know meaningful end to the terrible violence we're seeing in, in israel palestine has to translate those values into a political reality
0: okay so i think to move on not necessarily from that topic but move more into your previous work as a historian are there any current works in progress or events that you'd want to advertise on this podcast?
1: Sure. I mean, I can say yeah. that I'm, I'm working uh, right now on a, a, a book um, called The Forever Empire, which is about uh, American policy in the Middle East. Um, and it, it looks exactly at how the United States has been part of this kind of uh, imperial history in, in the Middle East. But I, I think I'd, I'd really like to, to make a pitch for um, our classes in, in the history department, that there are people in our department um, who, you know, who have expertise and, and students who would like to understand more about these events should definitely consider taking classes uh, with me, with others in the history department and, and the School of Humanities who, who teach and research about the Middle East. Um, so I think I plan to um, offer history 275, the modern Middle East in, in the fall, fall of 24 um, so that's a D1 class that, that offers students a broad overview of the region's history that doesn't uh, presuppose any any prior knowledge, and, and we talk explicitly about the historical background of, of current events. Um, I also teach History 436, uh, which is a research seminar in the U.S. and the Middle East, and, and history majors. Others with a, a special interest in the, in the topic can, can research a project of their choosing one reason to sign up for that class is that i share thousands of declassified documents for my own research with students that they can then use uh, for their own uh project so i think i would just encourage people to to you know take advantage of the the resources that we have uh, here at rice including the the classes that are offered uh, by the history department
0: well dr Satino, i feel like we could talk about this for another hour but i know your time is limited so i wanted to say thank you so much for coming on this podcast it was great to Hear some of your expertise and sort of have a more nuanced perspective of this conflict. So, thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks for who I enjoyed it.